first one is taken from the Old Testament, uh, from the book of Psalms. And we read together Psalm 15. Please listen that we might hear the Word of God. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own heart and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from Matthew's Gospel, uh, we continue through uh, the Gospel of Matthew this, uh, this year as uh, our lectionary Gospel. And we read together uh, from Matthew chapter 5, uh, reading verses 1 through 12, some words that I'm sure are very, very familiar to many of you. Uh, you may have heard time and again, uh, some of you may, uh, this is one plaque my mother didn't have. My mum has always been a right one for plaques. She always had plaques with all kinds of things up on, her, up on the wall all over the house. Uh, this, she never had the Beatitudes, but some of you, or some of your parents or grandparents may have had plaques or something with the, these words from the Beatitudes on your wall. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I um, 
back, when, when was it we did this? Back uh, October, November, I think we actually started in September. In our Thursday morning Bible study group, we spent, what, eight weeks going through uh, these verses that we just read. We spent an inordinate amount of time uh, doing that, and we opened the Beatitudes up. We looked at the context. We looked at all the different parts. We looked at all the different Beatitudes, what they meant, what they represented, how they impacted Jesus' first hearers, and how they impact us. We've got probably 20 minutes right now, so I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is, uh, is talk a little bit about what the Beatitudes actually are. In fact, this is going to be more of a whole introduction to the whole of the Sermon on the Mount in, in many ways. And the first thing that I think is important for us to acknowledge about these Beatitudes, and in fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount, is that this whole section of Matthew's Gospel is often horribly misunderstood. Probably better to say that this whole section of Matthew's Gospel is not only horribly uh, misunderstood, but more specifically, it's misapplied and it's misappropriated. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me read you a poem. That's why I got my phone out of my pocket, because I'm going to read you a poem. It's a poem that was written by a man that some of you may know the name, others of you may know some of his writing or some of his work. The name is uh, Rudyard Kipling. How many of you have heard of Rudyard Kipling? Many of you. How many of you have heard of The Jungle Book? Not everybody. Most of you. Many of you have heard of The Jungle Book. Well, Rudyard Kipling wrote The Jungle Book, not for, it's actually The Jungle Books, not for Walt Disney. Uh, Walt Disney took that story, or one of the stories from The Jungle Books, and adapted it, the story of, of Mowgli, the man cub. Uh, Rudyard Kipling was a prolific uh, a writer. Uh, he was born in uh, 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 India in the 1800s, uh, when India was part of the, of the Raj, the British Empire. Uh, he spent much of his life in, uh, in India, and many of the stories that he wrote were, were rooted in that particular context. That's why the Jungle Book is set in India, because that was what uh, Kipling was very, very familiar with. You may also uh, be familiar with the, the movie from the late 1960s with Sean Connery and Michael Caine, uh, The Man Who Would Be King. Yeah, are you familiar with that, that movie? That was a short story that was also written by Kipling. But perhaps, other than The Jungle Book, perhaps he's best known for one of his poems. Some of you may, again, we go back to plaques. You may have seen this on a plaque somewhere or a poster somewhere or heard this recited at different times in uh, your, your life. But it's a, it's a poem that it, it has for its title one word. Can anyone guess? Those who are familiar with Kipling, what's the name of the poem I'm about to recite? One word. If. If. How many of you are familiar with the poem, If? Some of you are. Not many of you. Well, this will be a treat for you. If by Rudyard Kipling. 
If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop, and build them up again with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Some of you may have heard that poem before. You may not have been familiar with the title. But it's a poem that has been very significant in the lives of, of many, many people. In fact, there's a, there's a video online I, I found on YouTube just a few days ago of Michael Caine reciting that particular poem and speaking of how that has impacted his, his, his life. And I know that that poem has impacted many lives uh, throughout the years. If you do all of the things that are listed, if you develop the character that's spelled out in this particular poem. If you become the type of person that this poem espouses, then and only then will you be a man, my son. Your identity based on the rationale and based on the logic and the ordering of this particular poem states you do this, in order for you to become that. Now that's a wonderful ethos in so many ways. And it's become a guiding principle for so many people. And it's also become in many ways the guiding principle for many who are within the church. And many who claim Christ as their Lord and Saviour. If only I do X or Y and Z then 
And only then can I be acceptable to God. You and I have heard people time and time again say, the only thing that I need to do is live according to the Ten Commandments. If I only uphold the Ten Commandments, then I will be pleasing to God. And God will love me if I just do that. Equally so, you've heard people say, all we need is the Sermon on the Mount. If we live according to the Sermon on the Mount and do everything that it says, or at least try our very best to do what the Sermon on the Mount says, then surely that's all we need to do. And so in this way, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount have become a means of salvation. You do this and you will be right with God. And that's what I mean when I say that this passage, this whole section has been misunderstood, it has been misapplied, and it has been misappropriated. Because if you have ever taken any time to actually read the words of the Sermon on the Mount, you will find that what is laid out there is an impossible task. An impossible task for anyone to uphold, for anyone actually to live by, to fulfill that task perfectly is a path to disaster and to destruction because we can never live the Sermon on the Mount or live out the Beatitudes apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. As you look at this passage, there's something that I think is very important for us to pay attention to. This is also something that's reflected in the, in the Ten Commandments, believe it or not. Rather than the Ten Commandments, rather than the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount being a means of salvation, what they are in actuality, they stand as identifiers. At the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, we find this phrase, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods beside me. That's where the commandments begin. The commandments don't begin with do this and then I will be your God. They begin, I am the Lord your God. You belong to me you are mine, and as mine, as my children, as the ones who belong to me, these are the things that mark you. These are the identifiers of what it means to be a child of God. In the very same way, we find the Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount begins like this. When Jesus sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. Jesus is not talking to the crowds. Did you notice that? Probably not. Jesus is talking to those who belong to him. That's the starting point. You belong to me. You are my disciples, is what Jesus says. And as my disciples, here are the things that mark you out. Here are the identifiers 
If you belong to me, if you are my follower, if you are my child, then your spirit will be poor. You will have a poverty of spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to have poverty of spirit? It means to acknowledge, as the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul! I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour. Or I die. It means to know that there is nothing that I can bring that will ever make me right with God. Paul in the book of Romans writes these words, there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. All our good deeds, he writes, are as filthy rags. If we consider at all that we have anything to contribute to our salvation, to our justification, to our righteousness with God, then we failed to keep the Sermon on the Mount in the very beginning because we have no poverty of spirit. If we have anything to offer, then we've broken the, the Beatitudes already. We have failed. During the, the period immediately after, after the, the Reformation, the, the Reformers in that particular period they spoke of this, this poverty of, of spirit with a, with a term that some of you may be familiar with. They used the phrase total depravity or total inability. For some of you who are, are familiar with John Calvin, you may be familiar with Calvin's tulip. This wasn't put together by Calvin himself, but some of his later followers. The T of Calvin's tulip stands for total depravity. It doesn't mean that you or I are as depraved as we could possibly be, although some may be as depraved as you could possibly be, but what it does mean is that the totality of each one of us is affected by sin and is corrupted by sin. We are depraved in every part. We're not as bad as we could be. But we are depraved in every part. We are not who we were created to be. And it's an acknowledgement of that that brings us to a place that Jesus speaks of here as poverty of spirit. Because we recognize that there is nothing that we can bring. And in response to that, the second beatitude said, Blessed are those who mourn. Once we recognize there is nothing I have to bring, we are broken by that. Our hearts are broken and we are brought to a place of deep, deep sorrow and deep, deep mourning. And as we mourn our brokenness, as we mourn our sinfulness, can I invite you to take a seat, please? We can sit right here. That would be super. Thank you so much. We, we mourn our, our brokenness. 
We are, we, are, we, are, we are faced with the reality that Christ comes to us in our brokenness. He comes to us when we have nothing to bring and He brings everything before us and says, your sins are forgiven and says, you are set free from the power of that sin. Here is life in all its fullness. And out of that morning comes what Jesus speaks of as the comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, there is nothing that we bring. There is nothing that we bring. It's all of Christ. Friends, when we read this passage, when we are faced with the reality of the Sermon on the Mount, we are faced with the impossibility of it. And what it does is it drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, come to me all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In light of the Beatitudes, my dear friends, will you come to him? For in him, and in him alone, is the rest that you so desperately seek. Will you come to him? His arms are outstretched. And he is waiting for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.